You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I kind of feel like we're in a really sweet spot right now. Uh, my client, everyone's happy. Everyone's accounts are doing well. There's nothing close to euphoria. You know, I'm still getting people taking profits, you know, waiting for the pullback. You know, I even had a client move, you know, almost entirely to cash today. They're worried about the move to the downside. You know, we're, we're not having these times where everyone wants in on everything. You know, it, it, to me, it's, it's a really nice sentiment is at a really nice juncture right now. I feel quite quite uh, happy with every, where everything is. This is Mining Stock Education and I'm your host Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in yet again. The goal of mine as the host of this show is to bring you a variety of perspectives uh, from different uh, perspectives or viewpoints within the resource sector and to provide these viewpoints to you so that you can make better investing decisions from wherever your vantage point is. And so today I bring you the perspective of that of a, a full service broker and investment advisor. I'll be speaking today with returning guest Sam Broom. He's an investment executive with Sprock Global. Now, Sam was originally formally trained as a geologist. He's from uh, New Zealand, done a lot of work in Australia working as a geologist, but he also understands very well the finance side of the business. And he's also pretty good at, at decoding charts and looking at stock charts and so forth. And if you follow him on Twitter, you'll see that Sam often will post a chart and a comment or commentary there on Twitter. So Sam, welcome back onto the show. I appreciate you joining me and taking time out of your day today. Could you begin by giving us an update, especially for myself and all the North American listeners that are listening to us right now? Uh, Give us an update on the Australian mining sector and what would be some key things that we should know. Hi, Bill. Yeah, thanks for having me on the uh, on the show again. Always good to be here. Um, the Aussie space has been quite interesting lately. Um, in terms of, you know, we'll touch on the precious metals first because that's the one that uh, that's the market everyone cares about most at the moment. It seems. Um, in the large cap space, so we're talking sort of mid to large cap producers. Um, the Aussie markets, it hasn't, I wouldn't say it's cooled off, but it's, it hasn't quite been as buoyant as the North American market. Um, so we're actually seeing quite a lot of really enticing opportunities um, in the large, you know, mid to large cap uh, producer space in the Aussie right now. You know, probably the, say, 80% of the names I've been buying, you know, both personally and for clients in the last sort of four to six weeks have been uh, the, the Aussie producers that we really like. Um, we think that's that's a, definitely a segment of the market that has the best value right now. Um, however, if you go down scale a little bit into the speculative stocks, you know the sort of expiration stocks through to development stage asset, you know single asset developers, uh, the Aussie market is absolutely white hot right now. Um, I, you know, I, I came to this business. Uh, you know, the sector on the investment side, you know, 2012-ish, just in time for a pretty brutal bear market. Um, and I haven't really experienced uh, broad-scale moves up in, in some of these exploration stocks uh, or discovery stocks um, that I've seen over the last couple of months on the ASX. Um, it's not uncommon for, you know, a reasonable discovery, but, um, you know, definitely a discovery or, or a drill hole that piques our attention um, all of a sudden, the stock's gone from, you know, 15 million, 20 million market cap to 150 million market cap in the space of a week. Um, previously, we'd seen that on really stellar standout 
kind of once in a year type of it's. Um, but, you know, certainly in the last wee while, we're seeing that on discoveries, which have a lot of potential, but still, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of unanswered questions. Um, and the market's kind of in buy first, ask questions later um, sort of stage at the moment. So, you know, and this isn't just one or two companies, you know, I've seen this on at least half a dozen and, you know, 10, there's probably 10 to 15 names, you know, I could rattle off that have significantly multi-bagged uh, on decent, but again, still very early stage discoveries in Australia. Um, and it's not even just the discovery plays. Um, but we're starting to see the, the better development stage plays really start to take off. Um, or or uh, there are a couple of companies that are just recently uh, producers from developers. Um, you know, a couple of our favorite stocks have, have gone up well over 100% um, in the last couple of months. Um, you know, and are now trading at all-time highs. So, you know, uh, there's there's definitely a white hot market in the Australian junior space right now, which is, is quite interesting to watch. How have the Australian miners been affected by COVID? Frankly, uh, one of the main one of the major reasons I like the Australian producers right now is because, uh, the, especially the domiciled uh, the producers with the operations in, in Australia. Um, have been some of the least affected by COVID anywhere in the world. Um, having lived in Perth, uh, Western Australia, for many years, I can tell you that it really is one of the most isolated cities in the world. There is nothing outside of Perth for thousands and thousands of miles. Um, and so far, there has been very little that I'm aware of anyway, uh, impact from COVID on Western Australia and in particular uh, mining operations. So that is a huge part of of why um, I think, not a huge part, but it's a, it's a cherry on the top of, of why I like the better Australian miners, you know, particularly the Western Australian gold producers right now, um, you know, in case we do get that second wave of COVID that everyone is worried about, um, you, you really are going to be best sheltered in those Western Australian gold producers if you are going to own, you know, a miner through this time. How have the Australian um, traded... Uh, stock exchange gold producers fared against their Canadian and North American counterparts the last six months on a relative basis. On a relative basis, um, again, if we're talking about the, the sort of the producers rather than the small end, um, they've actually underperformed over the last six months, having been the major outperformers for the prior five years. You know, since about 2014 through about until about mid 2019. You know they were they were killing it. It's a little bit hard to directly compare. Um, the index I use the most is the Australian All Ordinaries Gold Index, the AXGD. It's a market cap weighted index, and a single name Newcrest, which is the third largest gold miner in the world. Um, they're about forty percent of the index, and they've had a really tough time lately. They've been having some issues, and the markets punished them because of that. So. If you take out, if you strip out Newcrest, um, a lot of the other guys um, have done much better and are probably not comparable. Um, again, at the small end of town, the speculative end of town, uh, the ASX has been crazy. Uh, it's definitely the the most buoyant speculative market I've experienced in my career so far. Um, so it all depends on where you're looking. Um, again, those. You know, it's my favorite part of the market, that sort of high quality growth mid cap producer space uh, that has lagged. And I think that is probably likely to change uh, soon because we, we did see an almost profit taking rotation out of the Aussie names and into the North Americans as gold really started to pop. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing capital flow back the other way uh, relatively soon. Um, 
to the benefit to the beneficiary of these uh, of these these Aussie mid caps in particular because there really are some fantastic companies um, uh, on that ASX. Trilogy Metals is a world-class developer in Alaska's Ambler Mining District. The company already possesses 8 billion pounds of high-grade copper, 3 billion pounds of zinc, over 1 million gold equivalent ounces, and over 77 million pounds of cobalt. Trilogy's Arctic project boasts an after-tax net present value of $1.4 billion with a 33% internal rate of return. Trilogy is led by an experienced management team with proven success in discovering and developing projects in Alaska. The company is well-capitalized has no debt, and possesses strong institutional support. Trilogy trades in New York and Toronto under the ticker TMQ. To learn more, go to TrilogyMetals.com. That's TrilogyMetals.com. Sam, I'd like to get your take on a recent short report from about two weeks ago. Nova Gold Resources with their 40 million gold ounce uh, project up there in Alaska. Stock was trading upwards of uh, $12 a share. And then this short report came out and the stock fell significantly, about 30%, down to about $8 per share. You know, do you have any thoughts about this specific short report, the company's response, or what should the investors listening to us know about short reports and how they make money and how it affects potential stocks like this? Yeah, I've got to be a little bit careful here on how I answer this one because there is a uh, there's a very wide range of opinions on the company uh, within Sprott. Um, I certainly have my own opinion on the company. Um, you know, some some people love it, some people you know think it's egregiously overvalued. So, with that out of the way, um, you know, I think. In my opinion, the, all you got to do is go and have a look at the reserve statement for both Barrick and Nova Gold, and it, and it tells you um, it tells you quite a lot. Um, you know, Nova Gold have I think 33 million ounces of proven and probable reserves um, slated on their on their statement. Barrick has zero. Um, so, you know, in my opinion, what does that tell you? It tells you that Barrick doesn't think those 33 million ounces are anywhere near economic um, at, at current gold prices um so that's kind of loosely where i fall on this um you know it's obviously a, there's a lot of gold in the ground but it's not just gold in the ground that that goes into making a, a mine or a profitable mine um there's no doubt about it it's a humongous gold endowment um it's going to be if it ever does become a mine it's there are a lot of things that have to go right first and there's a lot of lot of water under the bridge to go so you know, it, it depends who you're asking um, about, you know, what they want. You know, if you're a, if you're a gold to $10,000 um, and, you know, you've got the patience for a 10, 15-year potential build, you know, i.e. longer than a typical precious metal cycle, um, and you want that extreme optionality play of just pure ounces in the ground, even, even knowing that they're not economic anywhere near current gold prices, then Nova Gold's obviously got one of the biggest resources or reserves depending on how you want to classify it um in the world um i you know looking around i just see so much other opportunity outside of optionality plays like that that personally my my investing style is not you know i just don't go for the nova gold type type of place um so so would if you were given a binary choice would you choose one of these optionality plays these out of seabridge gold nova gold chesapeake gold 
or would you almost prefer just call options on GLD or something like this if you had to choose? Yeah, I mean, I think you can you can go for optionality that isn't that far out of the money. You know what I mean? You can buy producers today that you know are barely profitable at current prices, but will make a you know a bucket load of money at two thousand dollar gold and play that delta without you know having to you know take on all that extreme sort of stars aligning risk um, of these of these out and out op- optionality plays. The, the counter to that is these kind of huge pounds in the ground plays tend to have charismatic management teams that build a cult following around the stock. For example, there's no way I personally have the have the balls to short Nova Gold um, just because I know it has that cult following. Um, you know, Kaplan's a very animated figure and he, you know, he, he talks about his company eloquently. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that like this company, you know, including people inside the spot. So, um, you know, it's going to stay at valuations that make me scratch my head throughout the course of the bull market. I'm almost certain of that. So it just depends what you're doing. And investors just need to know what they're investing in. Are they investing in a company because they think it's going to be the world's next biggest gold mine and it's going to produce for 50 years and make them a bucket load of money for over the course of their lifetime? Or are they speculating on higher gold prices and the ability of management to create a narrative around a story um, and, and speculate on higher, you know, basically it's almost a greater full theory of, of someone buying your shares off you for a higher price. Um, and, you know, a lot of people make a lot of money doing that. Um, it's just not my personal investment philosophy. That's not how I invest. So I'm not an owner of no gold, Nova Gold. Um, I wouldn't short it, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't own it. It's just my personal, uh, personal opinion. For those that are listening to us that are of the more trader orientation, not just the buy and hold uh, resource investor, when you see the short report come out, is that a good time to short, at least for a week? Because so often it seems to work to where they're able to drive down these stocks, even stocks like, uh, I remember, Northern Dynasty years ago that had a huge pump going into it, and then it was much of the deflation <laughs> was a short report, I understand, uh, prompting a lot of the sell-off, and just what we experienced recently here with Nova Gold. I mean, is that a good short, a good short-term short for some traders? You know, if, if you might be able to jump on the back of some momentum from a short report, in general, though, you know, I advise most investors not to try and short stocks. You know, you can really have your face ripped off if you get it wrong. You know, I'm a professional investor. I do it every day. And I have tried my hand at shorting on numerous occasions, and I've usually got burned. Um, it's very, very hard to get right. Um, most people, you know, especially in a rising market like we're in right now, um, in the gold stocks at least, um, you've got to be very, very careful shorting because obviously theoretically you're open to potentially infinite loss rather than, you know, going long, you can only lose what you put in. So in general, you know, I, I have to, I have a big chat with clients that want to start short stuff, trying to talk them out of it most of the time. The only time I'd ever really go to town on a short is if I thought something was a scam, you know, an outright scam or there's some sort of fraud involved. Over What I've learned through my years in investing is overvaluation usually leads to even greater overvaluation you know getting the timing right is very very hard but to answer your question i mean if you're going to jump on a short trade right after a prominent short trade is probably not the worst time to do it but 
I'd be very, very careful before we do that. On the idea of shorting stocks, uh, there's been discussion of the reinstatement of the uptick rule, which is a rule that would say you can only short these microcap uh, miners, in our case, if they're going up. You can't continue to pummel them down. I had Rick Rule on the show. I asked him about that. Rick is not for the reinstatement. Other guests, uh, mining CEOs, were for the reinstatement. Those are just some opinions that have been shared on this show. Uh, what would be your take? I probably fall in the category of Rick, to be honest. Firstly, I don't think it's a huge problem, or at least not as big of a problem uh, as many people think it is. You know, in, in terms of penny stocks, and if you try and borrow short against the penny stock, most of them you're not going to be able to find stock to borrow. <laughs> you know, most brokers won't let you short penny stocks, or there won't be any shares available to short. Um, slightly, you know, there are some bigger juniors that you, you can, because I've seen it done. Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if a company is a legitimate short, um, you know, they deserve to be shorted. If they're not, and someone shorts it, and I like the company, it's an opportunity for me to buy, you know. Um, irrationally cheap shares. <laughs> you know, it's almost going to work in my favor. And, and if it's not a company I like, then I, you know, there are bigger things that I worry about than, than the uptick rule and the, you know, the, the complications that go with that. So to be honest, it's not a subject that I've thought, I've given much thought to uh, outside of just reading the headlines. I, I don't think it would affect me and what I do and what my clients do. Uh, and I do think it's probably one of those things you know you, you read on all the forums and you know you hear people talking about the manipulators and um, I think it's an issue that's probably overstated um, it's, it's definitely and I'm sure there are silly cases that there that's been a major issue but by and large I think it's a you know the, the short sellers manipulating prices is is an overblown uh, sort of I don't want to call it a conspiracy theory but you know you know what I mean, along that kind of vein. Many American mining investors don't want to, or it's not easy for them, I should say, to purchase the stocks directly on the venture exchange in Toronto, so they buy on the OTC markets. And I've had discussions with investors and with mining executives about whether they should upgrade from the OTC pinks to the more respectable OTC QB or QX, which costs the company some money, but there's a little higher requirements. Uh, as a broker, do you have any opinion or advice here? Yeah, I get asked that a lot from you know company management teams, actually. Um, it depends. You, you really need to know your investor base. I mean, if you do have a sizable US investor base and slash or you're going to market yourself relatively aggressively in the US, then the cost probably justifies, you know, the, the expense probably just is probably justified. If you have a vastly Canadian or, or non-US investor base, you know, how, how many companies do we see with a with an OTC listing that is basically illiquid and, and doesn't trade? Um, so it really depends. If, if you're going to make a concerted effort to appeal and market to to an American crowd, then it's it's definitely worth it. There are. You know, obviously, we here at Sprott, we can buy in the Canadian market, we can buy in the Australian markets. So it's not an issue for us. Like you said, there are a lot of investors that just have a discount broker that doesn't allow them to trade internationally. And if you are going to be roadshowing, speaking to American investors, then I have seen success with companies, you know, bumping up to a to a QX or QB on the OTC. So it, it really depends. What type of feedback have you been getting from your clients? I know that you're very responsive and communicating with numerous people throughout the day. Can you share anything in terms of sentiment or questions that you're getting? You know what? I kind of feel like we're in a really sweet spot right now. Uh, my client, everyone's happy. 
you know, he runs accounts are doing well, um, but there's there's nothing close to euphoria. You know, I'm still getting people taking profits. You know, waiting for the pullback. You know, I even had a client move, you know, almost entirely to cash today because they're worried about, you know, a move to the downside. You know, we're we're not having these times where everyone wants in on everything. You know, it, it, to me, it's it's a really nice sentiment. Is at a really nice um, juncture right now? I, I feel quite quite uh, happy with where everything is. Um, there's just enough interest that things are moving up. You know, finance things are are oversubscribed, but people are interested. Stocks are going up. You know, after finance things rather than getting obliterated uh, on the announcement of a of a placement. You know, but we're not. We're still not seeing. You know, your taxi driver giving your mining stock tips. So, right now, this is probably the sweetest spot in terms of, you know, interest, but not um, euphoric sentiment that I can recall in my career. Um, and I, yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited with where the next sort of six to twelve months you know, the outlook for the next six to 12 months. It, it feels really good. Sam, this is a question I've asked numerous guests since we saw that crash in March. And due to the unprecedented events that we've been seeing, both from the Fed and how governments have responded to the COVID crisis, NASDAQ hits an all-time high when U.S. unemployment is at multi-decade highs. It's just craziness. I mean, for your interpretive grid, when you look at all this and then you consequently advise your clients, has this been one of the more difficult times for you to accurately interpret what's going on and advise people? Absolutely. Um, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said I nailed everything. Um, you know, I I don't know anyone hand on heart that can say, you know, middle of March, they sent out something to their clients or, or in their fund and just loaded it fear there was blood in the streets but it lasted what two and a half weeks you know it's the shortest bear market in history and in fastest rebound in history um, and i'm still a little bit nervous you know uh, i you know i like the precious metal space because i think it's gonna you know there'll be volatility events again but it kind of you know it's it's a, it's your insurance policy for, for in terms of the broader economy Look, Billy, honest truth is I don't know anyone, whether they be investment advisors, fund managers, any investment professional that can hand on heart say they picked the absolute bottom and loaded up max long, uh, you know, middle of March. The the reality is it was an extremely scary time. Um, You know, I have never seen big multi-billion dollar stocks that we follow moving, you know, 15 to 20% in a session. Um, you know, it, it was it was crazy, um, and I'm still a little nervous that you know the end is not not you know the end is not in. We we could very well experience another episode like that. That that is why I favour the precious metals because I think despite short term volatility, they're going to be your insurance policy. They, well, they should be your insurance policy over the mid to long run through all of this. Um, but but yeah, it's 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 definitely been a very very tough. time time to be a manager um, or an investment advisor. But at the end of the day, you have to make decisions amongst uncertainty. And, you know, if, if investing, if everyone, if everything was obvious, we'd all be millionaires, right? You'd make the obvious decision and it would pan out. So this is this this is what we are here for, to help our clients. Um, and volatility is the friend of the long-term patient investor. So, you know, I am advising clients hold a little bit of cash. You know, I sent out a write-up a few weeks back saying, hey, we've had a really good rebound. Um, it might be worth having 5%, 10% of your portfolio in 
cash, you know, cash is optionality. Um, should we have another volatility event? So you've got some dry powder on the sidelines to take advantage of that. Obviously, on days like today, when the Fed announces another couple of years, basically a zero interest rates and gold stocks rally, you know, your clients kick you and say, oh, you're an idiot for why no max long. But if you've trained them and, and you're aware of how markets work, you know, uh, cash is a really powerful thing. Um, and so, you know, how you manage that um, through times like these is really, really important. And um, I, I do think having a little bit of cash, you know, I think you want to be fairly long, um, particularly in the precious metal space right now. But having a bit of cash is really, really key in times like these. And you would still be bullish on the base metals per our previous discussions? You know what? Look at old Dr. Copper at the moment. You know, they obviously, uh, you know, that surprised a lot of people. Uh, and what we're hearing, you know, both directly and anecdotally is that the copper market continues to be extremely tight. You know, we're seeing huge demand come back online in China and we're still having supply uh, disruptions, particularly in South America. So there is a bit of a short squeeze type of scenario going on in the copper space at the moment, whether that will last or not, you know, is anyone's guess. But the sheer amount of money they are pumping into this global economy, um, you know, we're going to see some really strange things. I mean, I it's, it's hard to be max bull, bullish towards things like base metals in amongst the COVID situation, right? With, you know, logic would tell you that global demand uh, is going to fall off a cliff or, or has fallen off a cliff, which it largely has. Um, but you have had massive supply disruptions too, and you've got just about every government in the world hell-bent on stimulating their economies, you know, to to nirvana <laughs> um, over the next over the coming years. So you're going to see all sorts of fiscal programs, and a large percentage of that is going to go into infrastructure spending, um, materials um, intense of stimulus programs so you know what i would not want to be i would not want to have zero base metal exposure in my portfolio either um you know i've personally upped my exposure to the really highest quality um base metal producers um over the last you know that was one of the biggest things i did during march actually um, was, was bought a new material position in my personal account. If you're a high net worth resource investor and you're looking to put, I would say, at least six figures into the resource sector and you're seeking professional guidance from somebody who understands, as I said in my introduction, the financial side of the business, but also understands how to interpret geological numbers, having been a formally trained geologist himself, I would encourage you to reach out to Sam. I'm going to put Sam's email address in the show notes so you can email Sam. And if you're calling or emailing him as a result of the show, please do let him know that as well. Sam, as always, I appreciate your uh, six-month check-in on Mining Stock Education. Thanks for educating my listeners today. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant 
with that. If you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.